1: Welcome to episode 39 of the Travelling Image Makers podcast. I'm your host, Hugo Chai. A few weeks ago, when I asked Ron Clifford to be my guest on the podcast, we discussed what topics we could converse about, and equipped that we could mention his distinction of being a bipolar photographer. At first, I thought he was jokingly referring to the fact that he had uh, visited both poles, or had been to the Arctic and the Antarctic and photographed both. But what I discovered during the interview is that Ron had actually been suffering for years of bipolar depression. I think it was very brave of him to mention this and to tell the story of how travel and photography helped him overcome his condition. Ron says of himself, I am an artist, coach and creative mentor with a unique gift to help unlock the creative ninja that lives inside every person. Having been tutored by Ron in one of his courses, I can definitely attest to that. He's a natural-born educator, and I think this quality shows clearly in this interview. If you want to know what drives Ron to help others on their creative journey, I encourage you to listen to it. This episode is available on the website at ttim.photo forward slash 39. But when it goes live, I will actually be somewhere in Greece, taking a well-deserved vacation reason for my trip to Greece is to relax with the family, uh, have some uh, swims in the Aegean Sea, um, taste some great Greek food, but another reason for this travel is to scout some location for our upcoming uh, workshop and tour to the Cyclades Islands in Greece that we will hold in uh, June of 2017. If you want to know more about this tour and maybe join us there, you can find all the information at mediterraneanphototours.com. Now let's listen to my interview with Ron Clifford. Can you maybe introduce yourself to to our audience? Who is Ron Clifford? Uh, How did you get started with photography? What what do you do in your your life? Uh,
0: That's a big question. Who is Ron Clifford today? Uh, tomorrow, the answer might be a little bit different. Um, I guess, uh, first of all, I'm a photographer. I mean, that's how we met. We met on the Google Plus platform in, in different communities and doing different things. And um, one of the things about me is uh, if you know me for very long, I always say it's not about the camera. I mean, I use the camera, it's my chosen tool of artistic expression. I started as a painter, but later in life discovered that the camera was really the instrument that I wanted to pour my creative self into. And so my work, um, I love to shoot landscape and nature, and I love to photograph people. Um, I've tried to do one or the other, and that just doesn't work. And So I always say, you have to you have to do what you can't help but do. And mm-hmm. in my life, I discovered that not only do I need to have a creative expression like photography, but I need to connect with people. And I guess that leads to me shooting both nature and people, and often the two of them together, uh, people in nature. But um, So I, I have a, a, a little home studio. We live in an old, old house in the old part of town. And this year I finished a, a, a really nice home studio, which has been getting a lot of use, not so much by me, but by my friends and by my kids. My kids love photography too. Um, and then I travel. Uh, and when I travel, I, I, I am very fortunate to be able to go to some very – Uh, Unique places I Mm -hmm. have been to in the last year. I've been to uh, both the Arctic and the Antarctic, and uh, that's been an incredible opportunity.
1: Yeah, we will talk about your polar trips uh, uh, more later, but first I would like to to read you a quote from your website. If you if you remember that, (laughs) Uh, and if you don't, if you're not going to disown that, I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I have spent a lot of time uh, in life finally figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And in the last yeah. year, I have gained much greater clarity on what that is. Not only am I born to be creative, I love to connect with other people, to build community and to help others overcome their own obstacles on this creative journey we are all on. And I think you you already uh, explain some of it, but maybe you can uh, expand a little bit more. Um, what does it mean to, to build a community and to help others overcome their own obstacles in practice?
0: Yeah, that, that that leads to a much bigger question and part of the way that the direction of my life has gone. Uh, one of the things that I don't do, I actually thought about this uh, early in the morning when your head is a little bit foggy. I woke up with the revelation that i'm not actually a full time photographer i'm I'm a full time educator and mentor that uses photography as the tool that connects me to my people, you know my tribe, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, so i I don't have to shoot sessions to pay my bills because i'm very in a very fortunate position that that I have a great community of learners around me and uh, I love to teach in that environment. The internet has given me access to a a worldwide um, group of fellow enthusiasts mm-hmm. um, it took a long time to figure out when I wanted to be when I grew up um, it was kind of a running joke in my life I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up because I, I, I'm kind of multi-passionate I, I think Marie Forleo uses that word multi-passionate and I've done a lot of different things in life but it, it keeps coming back to it's not so much the thing itself like photography or painting or home construction, or, or you know, I, whatever you want to do in life. For me, it was that whatever I do connected me to people. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm connected to people in the role that you do what you can't help but do, I always ended up in a role of, of mentoring and helping people overcome um, things that are blocking them, especially creative blocks in life, or helping them to understand that they are creative to begin with. And that, that's kind of led me to where I am now.
1: And it seems like many photographers nowadays are turning to education, but mostly as a, as a means to, to make a living, to make ends meet, uh, not necessarily because they have a, um, a passion for that. And it, it seems in your case, uh, you really have a calling towards uh, towards education, towards teaching. So that's yeah, that's I would it.
0: say that's definitely true. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: uh, that's. Uh, I, I know I've been in. a... I've been your student for a while if you remember. Yeah, you had you came into
0: the Photoshop
1: Yeah, that was a great yeah. that was a great experience. So Good. thanks for that. Um, you're also speaking of education, a master at the Arcanum. And not everybody yes. knows what the Arcanum is. Can you can you explain that? Can you tell us what, what is the Arcanum yeah. and what is your role there?
0: I'll do my best to explain it. The Arcanum is an online education platform uh, that's a little different than what's been currently available. So rather than, say, uh, typical sites like we think of Kelby or Udemy or we think of lynda.com as being sites where we would go to get education, we get to watch watch curriculum on video and follow them through, video one, video two, video three. The Arcanum kind of flips it on its head. And while there is some video content in our grand library, in fact, lots of it, the Arcanum is a community-based, mentor-led education platform. And so what that looks like is I have different what we call cohorts because we're using a bit of the old, and that's, that's the root of the word Arcanum is, is old or ancient, is the old master-apprentice relationship. So I have small communities of about 20 apprentices. And in each community, uh, it has a specialty. I I currently have three communities. And I'll talk about my landscape mastery one because that's probably my most uh, popular, most vibrant. So I have, I think, currently 21 or 22 apprentices in that one. And we say apprentices over students. Again, it's that language around the apprentice-master relationship. And so what I do is we have level challenges in in each each uh, sphere, we call it, like each thing, like the landscape mastery sphere. There's 10 levels, and each uh, student applies themselves to the levels and level up until they finish that particular sphere. And so that engage, puts me as, as a, a mentor in a community group of learners who give each other feedback and develop relationships in that community that takes their learning to a level level. Uh, that goes beyond just a a subscription site. It creates a level of accountability and, and a learning curve that I've never seen in any other platform. And, and, uh, if you, if you haven't thought about that type of learning, I would highly encourage it. It's not for everyone, but for people it works for, it works extremely well for. And, uh, I, I've seen really, really fantastic things happen within the education platform, uh,
1: that we're doing. Yeah, I'm amazed because I've been uh, I've been an Arcanum apprentice myself. Mm-hmm. I've done two spheres. Is that how you call them? Yeah, I've been in two yeah, different spheres. courts, and and I know how much time it takes for for apprentices. And mm-hmm. I think a court uh, when I was in it was twenty apprentices, so. Mm-hmm all the time that we put into that uh, for the master it's multiplied well it's not really multiplied by 20 but they have to put a lot of time and you have three yeah. cohorts so it must take a whole lot of your time and uh, that also speaks to the the passion that you have for teaching that you invest so much in it is that is that my my impression is is right is it correct
0: yeah the the arcanum takes up Uh, a specific amount of my time pie let's say Mm -hmm. and what it does that type of education that type of online education still allows me to travel and do my other work and do other workshops um but i as a master i also i guard my time as well so there's a bit of a balance i i one of my roles in the arcanum was to onboard all new masters uh helping with the uh education there and one of the things i teach all new masters coming on is about protecting your time and that is that in a community of learners you can get lost in the daily conversation mm-hmm. and kind of lose your role as the mentor and so it's really important to be in your community when it's really important that your feedback is needed during the times like when we do the one-on-one critiquing that's so really important to be very present But when in other times, as a mentor, there's times when you have to almost step back a little bit, not be absent by any means because I plus all posts and I make comments where it's important. But it's important for me to protect my time so that I'm able to have three different cohorts without it uh, currently being a a full-time job. I have one highly active cohort, and that's the Landscape Mastery Cohort. My foundation cohort still has about 14 apprentices in it, And they love it so much, they're just not finishing, but they're not highly active. And so that one doesn't take as much of my time. And I have a sphere three cohort uh, that I have only six apprentices in, and I've I've capped it at at between six and eight apprentices because it's a lot more direct interaction with me. There's much more one-on-one time, and so I couldn't fill it with 20 apprentices. It would just take up too much of my time. And so uh, I'm just be you know, I, I'm careful about protecting my time so that the Arcanum takes me um, probably between 30 and 40 hours a month.
1: Mm-hmm. I see. You know, um, but uh, as I said, I was an apprentice one time. I never got yeah. to, to Sphere 3 because I decided that I just didn't have the time to do it. Uh, can you yeah. tell us a, a bit more about what, what, what happens in Sphere 3? I mean, you said it's very... It's more, much more direct interaction. What, what are the kind of topics that you that you teach or you discuss with your apprentices, if you can yeah, reveal the secrets of the Arcanum?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of insight. So, just a really quick recap: Sphere One is really uh, fairly pre-programmed. So, masters are given a, a really good kind of umbrella outline, and it's called the Foundation, and it helps apprentices. Um, Learn the platform, engage with their fellow students, and then gives them time to grow and really identify where they want to move from there. Sphere 2, for me, I I created a Sphere 2 landscape mastery program because I really think that there's a ton of photographers out there, not just in landscape, but especially in landscape, that love the technology of photography and were drawn to it as a way of creative expression, but completely bypassed any artistic training. And so in order to bring your work to a new level, having some fundamental understanding of directing viewer engagement through some artistic principles will take your work to a new level really quickly. And that's what we've discovered in my Sphere 2 Landscape Mastery course. Sphere 3 is completely different. This is a very personal goal-based sphere, and, and I'll have a one-on-one a video hangout with you for an hour or whatever it takes to iron out where you're you're going with your photography and create some actionable goal plans and then i'll become that accountable person with you to help you develop a plan to reach a few of those goals uh, one of my skills like i said is in mentoring and in mentoring i help people get clarity and so it's called the cohort of clarity and so some people in it are working on um, gaining clarity about just what it is they want to do next with their photography. Uh, one apprentice wants to you know, develop his website better and wants to begin to move into business. And another apprentice is just far more interested in more work on the artistic side of photography and, and how to uh, incorporate that. Mm-hmm. And so it really is, becomes personal at that point but it, it really, for me, it takes a bit of that time, like in Sphere 1 or perhaps Sphere 2, for you to really get to the point where you, you, you just get to a point where you know what you want to do or, or where you want to go next, and you know if you need somebody to help, uh, you be accountable to that. So What's interesting in the Arcanum, yeah, okay. just before I go on, is that you could repeat, for instance, Sphere 2. So it's not that you have to keep moving up in spheres – if, you, if you're if you in my Sphere 2 landscape mastery and suddenly you wanted to study composite photography with another master, you could do another Sphere 2. Uh, spheres are set up so that they as you go up in spheres, they have a different and more personal focus.
1: Yeah. So we're going to to switch to another topic. But before we do, yeah. can you just tell us where we can, where can people find more about the Arcanum and maybe apply to be apprentices?
0: Yeah, that's www.thearcanum.com. And uh, there's a a lot of information on the initial pages, and and you can put an application in right there. And um, yeah, if you're interested in that style of learning, if you think that's something that might be for you, or even if you're not sure, you can try it out. There's no long-term obligation. Uh, Get matched up with a master and see what happens on your road to uh, discovery and this thing we call photography.
1: Sure, we'll put a link in the in the blog post so people can yes. just click there and, and just go there. And now okay. I would like to, to talk a bit more about travel. You no, know, this is podcast is uh, all about travel photography. So yes, learning is a great uh, is a great topic too. But let's talk a little bit about travel and uh, specifically something that you uh, you said to me when we were discussing about this uh, making this interview. And you said you are the jokingly, and officially bipolar photographer. So can yes. <laughs> you can you explain what you mean by that?
0: Well, uh, well, first it goes along with my life and, and and finally figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up uh, as being a photographer involved in community. But it also has to do with my own personal struggle. It, it's it's a little bit tongue in cheek that I'm a bipolar photographer, but I am a bipolar photographer. Um, I, I I went through years of struggle you know, uh, in life, uh, finally to come out in, in the last several years to understand what it is that made me uniquely different. And, um, I, I've really had a lot of, let's say victory in dealing with mental illness in life. And, and, and I've been exceptionally stable for several years now. Uh, so it's a bit tongue in cheek, but, uh, I, I am actually a bipolar photographer and mental illness is something that's close to my heart, but that leads to the discussion of, uh, My polar trips, because I'm a polar, I work with a polar expedition company leading in photography symposiums, and so I work with a company called One Ocean Expeditions, and they specialize in taking uh, groups of people uh, down to Antarctica and up to the Arctic, Um, and so I was fortunate to um, be invited to be one of uh, the symposium team uh, photographers, helping other photographers. Um, have a great experience, get good photographs, and one of my specialties while I'm on board is to help with post processing. Because, as you know, that's that's one of my uh, strengths. That's one of the areas I lean into heavily.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, uh, all of that would not have been happen wouldn't have been able to happen. And, and I'll just be a, uh, just a little bit real, if I can, with your audience. None of the ability that I have to travel and to teach and connect could have happened without being properly diagnosed uh, with a mental disorder and then being properly treated. Um, my my natural state is to isolate and to not go out and to not travel. I kind of joke because I tell people I'm a social introvert and that um, I'm a little bit of a hobbit and, and travel wasn't something that was really big on my list of things to do. Um, because of the risks involved for me. And so my ability to say yes to this opportunity to do polar travel um, is a bit miraculous. And so every day I, I let people know willingly that I, I feel that I'm one of the most fortunate people in the world, that not only do I, I get to do the thing that I was born to do, that, I was, that, that thing inside you, you can't help but do, but I get to do it in an industry that connects me to other creatives, in photography, and now it even connects me to travel. And so uh, last year I went to Antarctica in the fall. I also went on a cross-Canada trip and connected with tons of people that I knew from my online world. Uh, I went into the the United States, uh, and I traveled a bit uh, for the first three cities of last year's Trey Ratcliffe's um, kind of multiple-city tour where he was promoting his Peak Design uh, Everyday Messenger bag and the Arcanum. And so I, I've had a few years that have been flipped on their head as far as my my regular pattern in life goes, and I'm extremely grateful
1: yes. for that. So you, you went first to the South Pole? And then yeah, to, I, I didn't well, go quite to the South yeah, Pole. I, mean, I went yeah, to the Antarctic yeah, Antarctica. But yeah, sure. Antarctica. Close to the <laughs> yeah, South Pole. Been... Closer to the South Pole than more people will ever be in their life.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's and, an amazing opportunity.
1: And and then close to the North Pole, I was reading recently about your uh, trip to the Svalbard Islands or Spitzbergen. Yeah, called Spitzbergen. You yeah. went up uh, above eighty degrees north, if I'm not.
0: Yeah, it was eighty point four degrees north.
1: Okay. So what what are the difference between the two poles? What's uh, what's great uh, about the South Pole or Antarctica, if you wish? And what's so great about the Arctic that you cannot find in the Antarctic, uh, aside from, of course, you only find penguins in the South Pole and polar bears in the North Pole. But that's, <laughs> that's trivial. <laughs> there, there must be more differences.
0: Oh, there, there are remarkable differences. There's a lot of similarities, but let's focus on the differences. First of all, Antarctica, um, even though I didn't get quite as far south, I didn't get below the Antarctic Circle on the last trip, um, it's more rugged, and because you have to cross the Drake Passage, which, which is the, the one of the roughest or most dangerous oceans in the world or seas in the world, y- you feel a, a sense of much greater isolation, and so it, it, it's very rugged. In the Arctic, there's more vegetation, for example. They have a warmer Summer climate, because of the Gulf Stream, especially around Spitsbergen, and Svalbard region and the upper parts of Greenland, there's a, a, a summer where there's vegetation and a little bit milder temperatures. In Antarctica, when you get right down there, um, there's there's no trees and no, no grasses and no shrubs and no flowers. What you have is rock and ice and water and this thin layer where water meets land, where all the living happens. And so wildlife is highly concentrated and highly isolated to that little area of water and land. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wildlife in the Antarctic is extremely non-threatened by you. And so it's in higher concentrations, and it will approach you quite willingly. So it's not unusual to have, for instance, baby elephant seals um, come crawl right up to you while you're sitting on the ground and just sit there and sniff you and nudge you and roll around and play right in front of you. Uh, and so uh, I find the Arctic itself, I don't know, I guess you either love it or hate it, but I just, all I wanted to do after five weeks in the Antarctic was go right back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, said that it's the highest, driest, coldest, windiest place on earth. Mm-hmm. And during Antarctic summer, um, it generally hovers around freezing. Some days are occasionally above, but most are just below. It can be extremely windy or stormy, but it can be extremely nice. There is a hole over the ozone, over the Antarctic, and you will burn severely without sunscreen and proper clothing, Uh, which was very surprising to me because you wouldn't think in a land of uh, snow and ice that you would get a sunburn so quickly. Yeah, it got and so more, the
1: Arctic worst sunburns in uh, in the mountains in winter. So on a yeah. smaller scale, I know what you're saying.
0: Yeah, uh, a lot. Of, a lot of passengers don't believe the sun is that vicious, and they, on their first day will get severely burned.
1: And and the um, reflection from the from the snow from the that's ice right. contributes you, a lot.
0: One of Yeah, one of the places that I learned that I didn't put sunscreen was actually on the bottom under part of my nose around my nostrils and Mm -hmm. under my bottom on my top lip and under my chin. And the first day I got burned there Mm -hmm. because I put my sunscreen on like I would for a Canadian beach day and it's very different. And so the reflection does burn you on the undersides, you're under your eyelids, you know, and Mm -hmm. you're under your nose and under your lip and yeah, you'll get burned there. So the Arctic is a little different. The Arctic has a little bit milder climate because of the Gulf Stream. And there's a completely different kind of wildlife, although there's still whales and things. In the Arctic, you have things like beluga and narwhal whales, which you don't get in the Antarctic. And while you don't have penguins, you do have a unique species of birds up there. Like uh, uh, one area in a very famous bird cliff area called Acafellet, there's uh, birds called the Brunix guillemot, which are kind of flying penguins. Uh, they, they do act a lot like penguins, and even during breeding, sound a lot like penguins. So it's very interesting to see that uh, relationship of polar birds. In the Arctic, I was able to get to, I think I was around 540 nautical miles from the North Pole. Uh, and it was still fairly temperate at that time of year. Mm-hmm. And this year specifically, the sea ice didn't come down to the top of the Svalbard, uh, to the top of the islands. And so we were able to in ten days circumnavigate the whole island, which is a rare trip indeed to be able to do that because the sea ice hadn't hadn't come down all the way.
1: And those trips, they you're based on a boat.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we're on a boat. Um, One Ocean Expeditions has two sister ships. They were science Russian science exploration vessels, but because of technology, they're science tech built in science technology. Um, They're specially designed sonar uh, mapping ships. Uh, New technology has taken over. So we're able to now use those ships uh, to take 100 passengers plus crew and uh, staff and and take, like I say, around 196 people on these special expeditions. And some of them are focused on photography. They have sea kayaking. They'll even have downhill skiing for the Antarctic trips, snowshoeing and hiking uh, we have shore landings and zodiac cruising so while we're stationed on the ship every day we try to have two if it's possible with weather either shore landings or a combination of shore landings and zodiac cruising in the arctic because of polar bears there's more zodiac cruising and in the antarctic when it's possible and weather permits there's more shore landings and so that's that's kind of the daily routine is to get up and have your breakfast, go to Gangway, and either do a Zodiac cruise or a shore landing at different locations. Then you come back and have lunch, and you go back to Gangway again after uh, a break and have another either shore landing or Zodiac cruise, and then come back for dinner. And in the break times, we have presentations, and this is when specialized staff on board, either photographers or historians or geologists or specialists in a field, We'll give presentations in the presentation room, so it's really an interesting trip. It's it's expedition like. It's focused and it's educational too.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it must be an uh, an awesome trip, trip of a lifetime, uh, or two lifetimes if you do both north and south.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's
1: right. And um, uh, yeah, um, what else? Uh, so you said you've been to to the poles or to. Antarctic and the Arctic, and US yes. and so on. Uh, any other places? I mean, any warmer climates, or you're just drawn to the the colder climates naturally? Would you? Would you like? Have you ever been I, yeah. to?
0: Yeah. I've been. I've been to some pretty hot places too. Um, mm-hmm. Well, besides my own, like like Canada has some of the most extreme weather in, in the world uh, around where we are. As far as some of the hottest summers mixed with some of the coldest winters it's a pretty unique area i think minnesota is quite the same um they even get colder winters than we do here but one of the reasons i was i was selected uh, or invited to one oceans is because of the work i do locally for winter trips i love to shoot in the winter a a lot of people think of winter as bleak and and cold and it can be but it can also be stunningly beautiful uh, and colorful and Um, you can, you can get images in the winter that you just can't get at any other time of the year and not everybody's getting them because it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to dress in several layers and be weighted down by not just the equipment you bring, but by the clothing you have to wear and by the planning you have to do. And so by shooting in colder climates, I get a really unique opportunity um, but I've also been to very warm climates. I, I've been to Haiti uh, a few years or a couple of years after the earthquake. I was involved in uh, helping an organization called Joy and Hope work with a, an uh, orphanage plan down there to create a more home-based orphanage system. And so we went down there and, and helped uh, a group down there uh, on a property and, and helping build in a road to this property that they were going to uh, work with. Uh, Building this plan, and so, Haiti, uh in their winter, it's hotter than our our thirty degree summers. I mean, it it got really cool at night. It, it went down into the high twenties. Uh, that's European. That's that's in, probably in the high eighties or early nineties for the Americans listening. Um, and I do travel um, in in Ontario and Canada and the northern United States. Uh, I've been to Vegas, Red Rock Canyon, and Valley of Fire, some hotter climates. They're not my favorite. I, I, don't, I don't mind the heat. I do pretty well in it. But I do prefer the colder climates for my photographic excursions.
1: Yeah, right. So one question that I ask uh, of most of my guests is uh, if uh, time and money were not an obstacle, which country or place would you go to if you could go, if you could leave tomorrow?
0: Um, you know, when I ask myself the question if if time and money were an obstacle, what would I be doing? Where would I go? And the answer is I would be doing exactly what I'm doing now, just more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there's bucket list items I have. I, I mean, I would love to see kayak in Queen Charlotte Islands. I would love to visit the Galapagos. Um, I, I I really want to go to Africa you know, Botswana, Namibia, Kenya. When it becomes more safe, um, I don't think there's one place. I think it's the answer to that is that I, I would just be doing what I'm doing. I think I'd just be doing it bigger if yeah, the time it's, and um, money.
1: Were it's just a great answer. I mean, yes, yeah, sure. Um yeah. I, I love it when my guests try to think a little bit out of the box and just list some bucket list items. And, what you yeah. said there is very very true i mean uh, if you're doing what you love just being able to do more of it is uh, is probably yeah. the the goal the aim of a lifetime sure all yeah. right
0: i think what's important for me my bucket list thing is 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 when when i'm older when i'm not able to do these things when i'm in a position where others are looking after me I guess you're, I would say, I, I want to be able to say I made a difference somehow, that it wasn't just about me. That's what I would say to that answer.
1: Yeah. Good question. All right. So it's about time that we wrap this up. Before yeah. we do, can you just uh, let us know where can, people, where can people find more about your uh, uh, polar trips and more about you specifically online?
0: Yeah, on, online, I'm highly still highly active on the Google Plus network. Uh, I, I am on Facebook as well, uh, Ron Clifford is. And uh, wherever you type Ron Clifford, you'll find my socials. And on my website, ronclifford.com, although as you probably discovered, uh, I'm in the middle of rebuilding in the background. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did, I'm taking some time off to redo that. But if you go to ronclifford.com and you do want to stay informed, do do sign up. There's a sign up there on the uh, a landing page so I'll let you know as soon as my new website is launched but you can click onto my learning page and you can see what I'm doing there as well so that's ronclifford.com
1: yeah we we are going to publish this in a few weeks so you have time to fix your website before we (laughs) before this episode goes live (laughs) Well,
0: let's get a landing page up we, there because we'll, data, we'll yeah. link
1: to it and we'll send people to it, so yeah, <laughs> you better fix it. Okay, I
0: have web- website shame.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I just redid my website after a long time, and uh, I'm pretty proud, but there's still a lot of work that I have to do uh, on it, and I know it's uh, it tends to be put aside when you have more. More interesting, more stimulating, more fun things to do, like traveling, taking photos, teaching, right. meeting people, and so on. Yeah, we have a website. It's there. It's more or less working. Let's, we'll fix it eventually. <laughs> yeah. That's how, that's, yeah. It. that's how it works. All right. So thanks for uh, for this very interesting conversation we had today and uh, some great insights and some great tips for uh, traveling, crossing between the poles. Uh, do you know that song? I have crossed no, between the poles. No, I don't know this song. i well, uh, Genesis, the cinema show. I'll
0: have That's to say, look it up. There's a
1: verse that says, I've crossed between the poles. For me, there's no mystery. So, uh, yeah. there's still mystery. Even if you have crossed between the yeah, poles.
0: Life is still full of mystery. There's, there's yeah. still
1: a lot of mystery and places to, to explore. So, yeah, uh, thanks again. And um, and all the best for, you. Uh, for everything you do. and uh, And all the good things you bring to this world well thank you for having me on Yugo. you're welcome cheers and bye okay bye